Secret Movie Clubbers, and welcome to Secret Movie Club 106. Today, we're actually talking about West Side Story, both the original 1961 movie directed by Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise, which went on to win Best Picture, and the Spielberg remake, West Side Story, which just came out in 2021 and was nominated for a slew of awards. And then we're going to be talking about just remakes in general, because The remake phenomenon, it's a key aspect of American filmmaking in particular. Although I'm sure, Edwin, you were talking about Hong Kong cinema the last time. They've remade that Fist of Legend story like 20 times. You showed a clip from the Jet Li version. There's a Bruce Lee version. What was the one that was just recent where they had four of them and Mike Tyson was in one of them? Money Plane? It Man. And then It Man, there was Grandmaster. Anyway, who is with us today? Hey, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Connolly Curry's the People's Champion. Hello, America. It's just uh, another freaking day. Another day, another few thousand dollars, and me trying to hold off and eating these Cheeto chips. If you're running an operation where a few thousand dollars runs in and out every day, I want to know that story. You don't want to talk about it? Edwin's playing coy. And I am Craig, the founder programmer of Secret Movie Club. Uh, this week... We are going to be showing tonight, when you hear this, we're actually doing Election, which was guest programmed by our youngest team member, Andrew Beloso, who's still in high school. He interned for us. He now works for us because he has great insights into movies that everyone is watching in high school, ways to reach people who are in high school. We want to get them, if they're into movies, get them out here and make sure we're doing our part so the next generation gets hooked on movies and comes out. And Andrew's given me tons of great stuff. Like, I think fairly soon we're going to do Jennifer's Body because Jennifer's Body, uh, one, yeah, absolutely needs a reconsideration cinema like Speed Racer, but also Jennifer's body is huge among high schoolers right now. So interesting stuff. But Andrew Beloso guest programmed election, one of my favorite Alexander Payne movies along with Sideways, about a high school election in Nebraska that eerily predicted the 2000 elections. It was made a year or two before they happened. We are going to have the producer, David Gale, there for a Q&A. And I'm excited about this because he also was a VP at MTV Films. And although at this point, I think that may not mean what it meant at the turn of the century, MTV Films and MTV, that was a whole cultural moment. And I'll be really interested to talk to Mr. Gale about a whole bunch of things. And he said he has a ton of stories about election, which is, I think, one of the masterpieces in the 90s. So please come see that. And then on Saturday, we are doing It Has Finally Arrived. And I will let you know it is selling really well, which makes me very happy. We are doing the Lord of the Rings Marathon at the Million Dollar Theater, all three Lord of the Rings movies. 10 a.m., Fellowship of the Ring. 3 p.m., Two Towers. 8 p.m., Return of the King. You will be stumbling out after midnight, but you're going to be right next to the Grand Central Market. We have an hour intermission in between each movie so that you can get food, you can get drinks. Uh, We are going to Mordor with Bilbo, with Sam. Actually, Bilbo kicks it at home. Frodo, Gollum, Gandalf, Gimli, Legolas. And then Monday for Memorial Day, we are showing John Ford's documentaries from World War II. He co-directed December 7th with Greg Tolan. Really the crown jewel of that day. And we're showing it at noon, the Battle of Midway, which he hand shot himself while the battle was happening. That's just a fascinating, beautiful one. And then Torpedo Squadron 8, which he made for all the people that were killed, all these young men that he had filmed that week. And then they were all wiped out during that battle. And he sent this 
Super 8 movie to all of their families because he had captured some of their last moments. It's very touching, very Fordian. Wednesday, we kick off a surreal summer. That's also our open mic short night theme for June. So everybody, we're encouraging them to make something surreal, avant-garde for the shorts. But we are showing Louis Bunuel's first three movies, Un Chen Angelou, Lodge Door, which God willing, we're going to show on film. And uh, Las Herdes, also known as Land Without Bread, which is actually a 30-minute devastating documentary he made about the most impoverished portion of Spain. It's surreal in a very Bunuel way, but also it's a documentary about this region in Spain that hadn't changed in hundreds of years and the people were living in horrible poverty. One of the things that often gets glossed over about Bunuel is that he was actually very, very politically committed his whole life to issues of poverty and iniquity. And Las Herdes is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen on the topic. Unchen Angelou and Lodge Door are just, just going to trip balls, even if you're not doing drugs when you see those. They are just surreal dreamscape movies from the 1920s and 1930. I love them. And then Thursday, we're going to do our next Guadalajara partnered film event. It's also going to be Boonwell's Exterminating Angel, which he made in Mexico. That is one of my favorite Boonwell movies. Famously, all these rich people go to have dinner and then can't leave the dining room. And they don't know why. No one can figure it out. They just cannot leave this dining room. Things always prevent them. It's a very surreal movie. I love it. I love the premise. It's amazing how much it works and how much Boonwell gets to talk about class in Mexico when nobody was talking about class and he got it financed by just making a totally absurd concept. As always, you can find out what we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Go to eventbrite at secretmovieclub.com. Write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. You will help us. If you like what we're doing, uh, write a nice review or whatever. Write an honest review. I never want to. But write a review. Like us on Apple or Spotify. All of that stuff I am learning helps get the word out. If you like what we do, if you like what Secret Movie Club does, we'd appreciate a review or a like or whatever. And that'll just help us reach more and more people in our mission of building a community of movie lovers and movie makers. And if you hate us, write a bad review. I believe I believe in free speech. I believe in democracy. And we'll just try to do better. Today, guys, we're talking about remakes. And we're talking about specifically, we're going to tee it off with 1961 West Side Story, which we also just showed on 70. It was shot native 70, and then we projected at 70. And the Spielberg remake, which shot on 35, West Side Story was originally a 1950s Broadway musical. Uh, music by Leonard Bernstein, lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, directed by Jerome Robbins. It was actually not a monster hit. It just broke even. Sondheim talks about this all the time. But it was revolutionary, like Oklahoma was. It took on the topic of Puerto Ricans on the Upper West Side before it was gentrified, the battle between Puerto Ricans and whites. It got into issues of class, of race of real issues happening in the country at the time the musical came out. I suppose it would be the equivalent of a Broadway musical came out today about maybe the culture wars between the right and the left or Donald Trump, take it where you will. But it would be that revolutionary when it came out. A few years later, a movie was made. Originally, it was directed by Jerome Robbins, who was the director of the stage play, also the choreographer. Jerome Robbins was like a Bob Fosse before Bob Fosse, a notorious perfectionist. The movie went so wildly over budget, they fired Jerome Robbins and they hired Robert Wise, who had made a string of hits, famously began as the editor of Citizen Kane, and would go on to do such hits as Sound of Music. Uh, he would direct the first Star Trek movie. He did a great horror movie in the 60s, among many other things, The Haunting. 
But Robert Wise would be the only one to collect the statue when the movie won Best Picture. But he insisted that Jerome Robbins be credited because Jerome Robbins had already directed all the musical numbers in a large portion of the movie. So now the movie is, gets a co-directed. But Robert Wise gets credit for all the exterior shots, all the like overhead shots. He really brought a sense of verisimilitude to the movie that Jerome Robbins wasn't able to. So it is definitely a hybrid movie. It starred Natalie Wood. Interestingly, for David Lynch files in Twin Peaks, David Lynch must have loved West Side Story because Russ Tamblin and Richard Boehmer, who played Tony and Griff, were cast in Twin Peaks 20 years later. I've always, if I ever meet David Lynch, I might be like, so West Side Story, what? you really like that, huh? But anyway, this movie was a hit. It won Best Picture. And they did reorganize when musical numbers hit. It was made cinematic from the stage play. Things were taken out, added, yada, yada. Cut to 60 years later, Steven Spielberg, who had been saying from the 70s, I've always wanted to do a musical and got close in the early 80s with a musical called Real to Real, which was going to be about, I guess, like a kid director on a, a movie studio lot. Nobody wanted to give him money to make that. He actually snuck in his first musical number in Indiana Jones and uh, the Temple of Doom uh, with Kate Capshaw's version of Anything Goes and a Busby Berkeley number, which is actually really dynamite. So he got it in when they torpedoed his musical idea, but he finally got to do his musical in 2021. He remade West Side Story. The book of the movie and the Broadway play was written by Arthur Lawrence, and then Ernest Lehman of North by Northwest fame did the screenplay rewrite. Tony Kushner, who now is basically Spielberg's go-to screenwriter, which I think is great. He's also the guy who co-wrote the new Fableman's movie. Kushner did a new book, Things Were Changed. Rita Moreno, who played Anita in 61, came back as the pop character, but now she was the wife and Doc Pop has died. The movie has a whole new cohort of people. It did win Best Supporting Actress, just as it had in 1961 for Ariana DeBose. Anita, that role, which is really that role in and Ricardo, those are really the strongest roles in the movie, in my opinion. It was Spielberg made a version that was it was divisive, but only in the sense of why did he remake West Side Story? I dug the original. I dug it, but it's not my favorite picture. I respect it. I, I love the choreography. The story-wise, eh, it, was, it was okay. But I, I, I will say that the choreography in that movie is freaking amazing. It's like one of the best things I've ever seen because I love musicals. But for me personally, my my go-to musical is Singing in the Rain. That's the one I go to all the time. Hot take. But for West Side Story, it's great. Now, Spielberg's West Side Story, you know, I didn't dug it. It's got the Spielberg elements. I just don't like how it's portrayed. And you're not in the minority there. I would say that my straw poll anecdotally talking to people was, I would say 60% liked it, but a big portion, 40% of people were like, it didn't work for me. I don't know why they did it. I don't like how it opens and I kind of don't like how they're dressed. They look like auto mechanics. I like the other ones. They look like ordinary, like rebellious teenagers. And in the original... It's already set up that these are the rival. They just talk like random people for no reason. Like, okay, this is happening. And also, they move, I feel, pretty after a major climax in that movie, which feels so freaking weird. Like, the Jets and the Sharks are fighting, the scene happens, and then boom, we go to a happy music and they're like, wait, what What the hell is this? This is not right. This this, this feels so wrong. And it, it made me appreciate the original a lot more. I agree. Actually, one of my biggest criticisms of the remake, which I did like, and I'll get into it, is that Jerome Robbins choreography in the original just pops. Uh, it does, most definitely. So amazing. You know, when it made me realize what a Gene Kelly or a Bob Fosse or a um, Stanley Donnan or a Jerome Robbins, how important they are 
Because I didn't think that the choreography in the new version popped. No, I did not. It did not. So what did what, what did you think was the strength of the original? Just the choreography, how they're introduced, how it's portrayed, how they're dancing, like, amazingly. The one thing I, I did not like in the remake is how they portray America. Oh, you mean the song? The one. They're dancing and singing on the roof, which is great. And then in the other one, they're, like, going through the street, like, something you've seen in any other movie. Like, I don't know, Blues Brothers? Where uh, Aretha Franklin, it's all about think, and it's like teaching the guy. And um, why are they in the street? Why, why, why are they doing that? You preferred it when it was on the roof. Yeah, because it was like more like a like Broadway play, you know, more like a stage play, and it looked great. I held my tongue for that because it was hard to listen to. I will note that Edwin on Letterbox gave both versions of West Side Story a heart, and he gave the original three stars and the remake two and a half. So we also spent a lot of time reverting Edwin back into the theater for the original as he would exit, and we'd say, yeah, "Get in there, you buster!" <laughs> I have a few issues with the general story of West Side Story, mostly in the third act. I think it kind of falls apart for me. Just in terms of the characterization and how the plotting works. Yeah, totally. And they didn't fix it. They kept it. No, but I, I think for me, I like them both. But I actually think I like Spielberg's more. I just think it's kind of a stunning production. First one, obviously, I think is also a stunning one. But Spielberg just seems like top of his game in full, just having like the time of his life. In a way, I haven't felt like I've seen in a few years, not in terms of speaking to his quality, but in terms of like the way he's moving his camera and the energy of this entire production feels like him understanding everything about in regards to the technical parts, what makes a musical flourish. And the biggest thing with the new one for me was changing two key things, I think. They change who sings cool and they change who sings somewhere. And I think those shifts create a stronger end result. Even if the end still doesn't work for me. The shifts kind of repurpose the story enough and make the emotional connection of the characters a little bit more effective to me. I know you don't like America. I thought America and G Officer Krupke were the showstoppers. I actually will say that I thought the Officer Krupke in Spielberg's was better than the original. Although for most of it, Edwin, I'm with you. I think the original stagings were better. But Krupke, I actually thought was an improvement. And I think the original really strives to capture the Broadway sentiment of its choreography. And I like that the new one felt... Because it is sort of that weird thing that we'll get into of like the why. When I try to contend with the why, I think the changes made, especially with location... And sort of the sweeping scope. I think 70 in the original is used for like these massive shots of a ton of people. Whereas Spielberg's interest is in the camera has his own choreography that moves through things in the same way as if we're the passerbyers watching this sort of unfold. So I don't think it's fair to criticize them dancing on the streets as a thing. Only because like the general concept of a musical is you have the disbelief that at any given moment... People in matching colors are going to break out. I wrote that the energy was so palpable in the Spielberg's adaptation and the, the song placement changes that sort of updated the theme made it feel fresh in a way that lets it kind of live alongside the original rather than trying to contend which one was better necessarily. But I guess if I had to make a thing, I, I was very in taken with Spielberg's. You know, one of the criticisms that was leveled at the new one, but I, I have to say, I think by people who, who were accustomed to the older one. So the older generation was... Why? Like, why are you remaking West Side Story? And they would say it with the tone of voice, like, why are you remaking Citizen Kane? That kind of thing. Part of me agrees, like, in the remake realm, the why, like, remaking bad things sort of makes sense. Like, you have a chance to kind of perfect it. But at the same time, if there's something, when enough time has passed, if there's an update thematically that makes sense, I guess the implication from a studio is that West Side Story is a known property that's going to make money. It didn't make any money. So it comes down to why Spielberg, who can kind of do whatever he wants, what about it's so important to him? 
and why he wants to tell that story. And I think for me, in this particular case, it functions because it feels like an uncompromised version of this thing he wanted to make. And you feel his hand through it all. So even though it is mostly the same story by most accounts, it still feels like a different piece just grappling with the same story. I think in the realm of remakes, this not quite the same, but stuff like, you know, Seven Samurai to Magnificent Seven, they're quintessentially the exact same story, but they feel like completely different pieces. And I felt that way with this, even though those are stylistic changes and using Western themes and yada, yada, yada. I still felt that these felt like two titans creating their things and there's crossover, but they felt unique. You've actually said a subgenre of remake, which I think is worthy of discussion, which is like what you just said, where someone takes one story and transposes it to another genre, very famously, you know, Macbeth, and then Akira Kurosawa transposing it to Throne of Blood and, you know, Feudal Samurai Japan or The Taming of the Shrew and then uh, modern day American filmmakers transporting it to uh, Washington High School with Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles. So- and just to piggyback on that, West Side Story is also a different kind of remake because it's not really a remake of the old movie. It's a new adaptation <laughs> of the thing that the old movie was also adapting. Yeah, an important distinction. My actually biggest affection from West Side Story is really kind of outside of the movies. I was growing up a musical theater kid. I must have seen, I'm looking at the Wikipedia now, I must have seen the 2010 US tour. It came down to Houston and uh, the theater under the stars. When I think about it, I usually think about that performance of it. I guess I would have been like 19 or something by that point. I'd seen the movie. I mean, I just think the music is, like, incredible. Like, some of the best Broadway songs ever written, especially America and Maria. Somewhere is beautiful as well. Tonight, especially. I love the version towards the middle, the reprise, where there's the happy version of the song and then the sort of menacing version that the gangs are singing. There's several other ones. I'm not not as into So Pretty or whatever that song is called. That song I'm a little more neutral. That song's fine. In terms of the movies, I'm kind of in the middle. I think it's like a Ringu the Ring situation where I think a lot of people, I think especially like in 10 years, 20 years, when you ask people, it's probably going to be whichever one they saw first because I think they're both really solid adaptations I think the new one, Spielberg obviously made something that was super respectful and uncompromised. It also helps that the non-white people weren't being played by white people with <laughs> on their faces, which is always a plus. But I do think that it's not like transformative. He didn't do a new version where it felt so totally different that it felt like, oh, this surpasses the other. It's now just to me like sits beside it as like an another interesting thing especially being from this great director and as being as good as it is i do kind of agree i think the old one's a little better i think the dancing is a little stronger and i think the big thing for me is that the old one was made in the early 60s but it's based on something that's like right would have just happened it was essentially contemporary for its time the new one is now a period piece essentially. And I think there's an immediacy to the old one in terms of being what it's about. I don't know. I wish there was like a hybrid. Like I wish more than anything, I wish the old one had like non-white actors in it besides Rita Moreno. Yeah. Ricardo famously, and he got the Academy Award in 61 is Greek, George Shakiris. But I think they're both really solid adaptations of a great musical. I made a list before this of the changes between the two, specifically that Valentina, who Rita Moreno plays, replaces Doc. And she's given a song, which Doc didn't have. And there's a plot point that she was married to a white man. So it sort of adds this dynamic between the two gangs 
and their push and pull of someone who understands between both communities that I think is really important because her taking in Tony makes a lot of sense with why she has this sentiment toward this boy who's in love with Maria. And I think that's really valuable. I noted that America is actually, it's a combination of the original film's version, but also blends into the original stage play production, which is a slightly different one, which I didn't know about, which is kind of cool. G Officer, Cup Key, I Feel Pretty in America are all rearranged in terms of when they occur. And then the big thing, too, in terms of thematically bringing it to current things is anybody's is sort of played in the original as a tomboy type of thing, like wants to be one of the guys type of thing. Whereas in this one, I feel like it's a much more overtly the casting is a non-binary actor. There's sort of someone looking to be accepted between it kind of has a trans edge to it that I think is more overt than the original that I think is really cool in terms of modernizing. Watching Spielberg's version, that character, I was like, wow, this is actually the most interesting thing to me. And, and by the way, I just want to say, I really like Spielberg's version. I'll get into it. I don't want to be misunderstood. I actually thought it was quite good. But I was impressed at how they had what appeared to me to either be LGBTQ or trans themes without having to create a whole bunch of new dialogue around it. It really, I thought Spielberg and the performers did a really good job of somebody who maybe identifies male and wants to be in a male gang. And the male gang is really weirded out by it. So that at the end, there's that beautiful irony when that character helps the gang, the gang accepts that character into the gang. And it took on kind of a resonance. But then when I watched the original version, I was like, oh, no, that's there. That's there in the original version. That character is also coded either LGBTQ, trans, or the least you could say is very tomboyish. And again, I don't want to, you know, put labels on anything without understanding the intentions of Bernstein and Arthur Lawrence and Stephen Sondheim. But that character does still feel in the original version like somebody who is non-binary. And it felt like their way in 1961 of almost pointing out, yes, the Puerto Ricans and the whites are fighting, but both of them are discriminating against this other character, which I think must have been intentional in the 60s. Uh, Having seen the two versions, I do think the original one pops more. Jerome Robbins, I actually think some of the staging, I had forgotten how imaginative it is. I don't know if you guys remember that amazing transition in the original one where it's body heat imagery, where they're dancing at the high school dance. And that was like crazy. They do this really weird optical effect where they grease out everybody except for Maria and Tony. Spielberg achieves it in a much more cinematic way where the bodies are just moving and then they're popped with a light. But I I had forgotten how daring the transitions were. And I have to say that at the end, when uh, Natalie Wood leans down and says, Teodoro Anton, and he's dead, I actually cried with the 1961 version. I was very, I didn't do that in the new one. Now, in the Spielberg version, I think some of his stagings, like his stagings of Tony and Maria on the fire escapes, the way he did that with the puddles and the stars, and, and then Anita and Maria's apartment with all of the colored fabrics that are everywhere in the shadows, I was stunned. And then even that initial tracking shot that acknowledges explicitly the gentrification of what's going to become Lincoln Center. I thought all those were great touches. And I thought that Spielberg is at this point, and I know you guys have said it, where his filmmaking is still on fire, but he's no longer showing off to anybody. He's almost like achieved a sublimeness. You just sort of watch it and you're like, he's not showing off, but all of this is incredibly hard to do. Like he is actually embodying the platonic ideal of a kind of narrative filmmaker whose craft is all in the service of telling story and is incredible without ever saying, hey, I need you to know that I'm doing it. 
even though it's super impressive. So that was all the stuff that I really took out of it. I thought some stuff was forced. I've always felt that the Maria and the Tony characters are not as well written as the Anita and Ricardo characters. There's a third act problem I've never been able to get over with, which is that Tony kills Maria's brother, kills Ricardo. And then we're asked to believe that an hour or two later, she has sex with him. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but as somebody who has six other siblings, if someone came in and said, I just killed this person that you love, who basically devoted their life to protecting you and like putting you in the apartment and now let's have sex, I'd be like, I got some issues. You just killed the person I'm closest to in the world. Watching both versions, I do get how it adds third act tension for sure. And I do get how it adds a level, but I've never, it's never landed with me, I think, in an effortless way that the best kind of twists and turns happen. We've just talked about these remakes. Why don't we do a round robin and talk about one or two remakes a piece that are different and our thoughts on remakes in general. Edwin. This one you're getting mad about, and it's a big debate we've been talking about for a while now. And, and uh, oh, here we go. <laughs> King, I'm going to call it out King Kong, King Kong 76. No, 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 but not that. I'm talking about A Fistful of Dollars and Yo Jimbo. I love both those. Movies. Yeah, what's the discussion? They're both great. Yeah, but A Fistful of Dollars is a lot better. Hmm. Keep going. Don't get me wrong. Yo Jimbo is great. But Fistful of Dollars, this takes it a whole different level, baby. And walk us through that. Eastwood, Marconi, Leone, and it's a freaking spaghetti western, baby. It's great. Would it be fair to say, though, Edwin, that maybe the spaghetti western genre and vibe and jam is more your jam than the Kurosawa samurai jam? That, too. I mean, they're both levelly good, but... If I have to pick one, I would have to go with this Fistful of Dollars. I get that, though. I mean, you worship. I mean, in the best, and I mean, I use that in the best sense of the word. You worship Leone and Morricone. I do. I worship, I worship them like, like, no, tomorrow. If, if a studio said, Edwin, we want you to remake A Fistful of Dollars. I wouldn't do it because it's already been done. It's perfect just the way it is. There's no reason to redo it. There are certain movies that cannot be touched, but there's others they're like, oh, wow, this is actually better than the original. There's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original and the remake. I saw the original, and I loved the original a lot more. And it's interesting because I, I, I like the remake too, but... Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm with the original. The original is the greatest one. No, the original is a lot better, especially that ending, which kind of gives you hope. Like, oh, I'm obsessed with Body Snatchers. It's funny you say that. I don't talk about it a lot, but Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I think, is one of the greatest American sci-fi movies ever made. It means a masterpiece. Another great remake, Cape Fear. Oh, yeah, I had that written down. Cape Fear is amazing. I love Cape Fear. Yeah, more chilling, more terrifying. Robert De Niro is just scary. You know what, though? I like both Cape Fears, although I do prefer the Scorsese Cape Fear. But the original Cape Fear is great because Bob Mitchum plays the criminal in the original like a reptile. And there's that shot where he sinks below the water, Max Cady. So I think that the original actually has a lot of pleasures, and I love the original. But I think that Scorsese's making it so gray and complex, and Nick Nolte's such a complex character, and De Niro is an avenging angel of death. And then I think that ending houseboat sequence, it's sort of fun to see Scorsese do Hitchcock. You can see that Cape Fear Scorsese is like, I got, I got to do a Hitchcock sequence. And so you see what a Hitchcock sequence directed by Scorsese would be, and that's the houseboat sequence. I think he talked to the Palma about it. He's the only dude that like, is in depth with Hitchcock because it's in all his movies. Probably asked him a favor or something like, hey, how do, how do I do this and how do I pull this off, you know? I'm not sure that happened. 
I think Scorsese uh, probably I, storyboarded I, 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 it on I'm, his I'm, own. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Don't, don't take things away from me, you bastard. I think the common thing is to be like, oh, remakes are always bad. And it's like, there's a lot of remakes that are made in more modern days where you can tell it's an IP thing. But I do think that throughout the long history of cinema, 100 or so years, there have been a lot of really good remakes. I think it just depends. And I think a lot of times people are able to remake something and kind of elevate it. I feel like the king of remakes is John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, yeah, great call. Is, like, incredible. And to be fair, I haven't seen the original. I have, however, seen the X-Files episode that's riffing on the John Carpenter's The Thing. And that movie, which is a remake, is a show and not a movie. Not as good. But the movie John Carpenter's The Thing is incredible. It feels like something that is very specific to Carpenter. Have you seen the original The Thing? I have not, actually. I would say it's a similar thing to Cape Fear. It actually has its joys, and I'd encourage you to see it because it's co-directed by Howard Hawks. In that one, you probably know this. The Thing is just like a Frankenstein. And the, probably the greatest effect in that is they have this Geiger counter. And whenever it comes close in the base... It just goes like, but whenever you see him, he's always James Arness. He's like, (laughs) so the shape shifting thing in the 82 was just a stroke of brilliance. I have seen both versions of Assault on Precinct 13. I don't remember the remake of Assault on Precinct 13 very well. I remember I got it in like a pack of movies that I like at a blockbuster or something, a bunch of DVDs. Like the ring is a good example of like a kind of a neutral one where I think both of those are really solid. Ringu is great. The ring is really good. I prefer Ringu, but I think if anyone said that they liked the ring better, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I think that's a great call because you actually bring up another point. I've seen both those versions, too. And I think sometimes people deify a movie like the original Ringu. I think I also prefer Ringu, but there are things that are silly about it in my opinion. And Gore Verbinski and, and Naomi Watts and the American remake, there's actually some legitimately atmospherically consistent creepy stuff in it that the original Ringu, maybe because of the, you know, it's Japanese and it doesn't translate to our cultural sensibility. But I think you have to be careful too to deify something, an original thing, if it does have problems. If it's got problems, it's got problems. And I think the best stuff to remake is remake stuff that was bad and make it good or elevate it. I personally putting out this call to Hollywood. Let me remake Ghost Ship. I know that movie's not that old. I don't know the <laughs> if the IP's really that hot, but I'll remake Ghost Ship. I'll make a very good movie out of it, I think, if you let me do what I want, which you wouldn't, because that's not how it works. That first five minutes, though. Yeah, no, the first couple minutes of Ghost Ship are great. And then the one other movie thing I had written down, this is like a recent reimagining, is I remember The Invisible Man a couple years ago. Basically, like a totally different story involving just a man who is invisible great job of taking some like old premise and creating something basically completely new out of it and relevant i made a list of my favorites that i enjoy in the remake realm my favorite remake i think the thing's one of the best one of my favorite movies so it's in the best but my second my other remake choice is chuck russell's 1988 remake of the blob the original blob is a fun little romp but the 80s blob is a visual effects gore-tastic nightmare yeah it's wonderful i love that movie i mean it's unrelenting they kill a kid and like graphic (laughs) he gets like but he becomes a little skeleton boy horrifying (laughs) didn't dara bond do the script on that yes it's such a great movie there's a great part not a great part there's a monster character who tries to get handsy with a woman and he gets killed horrifically and it's amazing 
it's great. It's like really a testament to the 80s practical effect horror world. And I think it holds up so well. I've seen it a few times the last few years. And we screened it. We screened it at the drive-in. Did it at the drive-in. It was a blast. It was awesome. I love it. Uh, my other selections, I mean, I love the universal horror stuff. So unfair. But the 99, The Mummy. I think The Mummy is phenomenal. And in the realm of a remake, which is not really fair because it's sort of just the name of The Mummy. It's made by Universal. But The Mummy is phenom. The Nick Cage Gone with 60 Seconds. I think it's the superior of that. And then I'd be curious, Craig, I want to know your take on this. I think that Hitchcock's remake of his own movie, The Man Who Knew Too Much, the Jimmy Stewart one, is is my preferred version. You know, I need to see him again, Daniel. I actually prefer the original. I think the remake is a lot of fun. And, and I love that moment in Marrakesh where the guy slips through his hands and he realizes he's a spy because he's wearing face paint or like grease paint. And I, I love, you know, Jimmy Stewart's my favorite actor of all time. But <clears throat> when I saw the original 1930. For the man who knew too much, it was one of those cinematic moments for me because there's a transition in it at the orchestra. Because for anybody who knows this movie and the remake, the whole thing is that there's going to be an assassination at a symphony, and the shot's going to happen at the loudest moment to muffle the assassination. In the original, he cuts to, or it's this blinding whiteness. And then out of this blinding whiteness, a pistol comes in in slow motion. And it was this transition. And when it was made in the 1930s, I was just so electric with cinema that I actually find the remake to be a lot of fun, but not a young man's movie, like a very polished Hollywood version. I didn't know if Hollywood was the right term, but I I agree. There's like little glimpses of great Hitchcock in the original, and the other one feels like someone who's very good at what he's doing. In that degree, I really like the like elements that will form that director down the road. I think for me that what's been more of those two you mentioned was seeing a director take chances. That was so exciting to me. So that's why I prefer the original. But I mean, I, I get it. I mean, both are both would be a great double bill. The sort of thing with a lot of these is when I look at my ratings on them, they're both very high. So it's sort of a, what am I in the mood for that day? I think the best remakes live like that. That's the thing with West Side Story too, is what I'm craving at the moment could be either because I find them both to be good. Yeah, that's probably the mark. One of my favorite remakes is, and I don't mean to be heretical because I think the original is great too, is actually Scorsese's remake of The Departed, which is a remake of a Hong Kong film called Infernal Affairs. What's so fascinating to me is that Infernal Affairs has everything Departed has. It's the exact same story. In fact, the one-for-one character switches almost. And the twists are the same. And the ending is the same. But it's fascinating to me how William Monaghan, the screenwriter, and Scorsese somehow fashioned such an American idiom movie from a Hong Kong story. And I'm sure this story of moles in both sides is probably like Greek. You probably go back and be like, actually, that was a play from the 17th century. It's just such a fundamentally great high concept idea where there's a mole with the gangsters and then there's a mole with the police and they're trying to find each other. But every time I see The Departed, I just see Scorsese in despair. It's clear he was at a low point with where he thought we all were. Just a fact, you know, there's an image in it for somebody who's always been seeking the spiritual. I don't know if you guys remember where it's a shot of Jesus And then suddenly Leonardo DiCaprio just breaks it over a dude's head. And then the dude falls back and he kneecaps him. And it's just like Scorsese being like, I don't even know where I am anymore or like what any of this means anymore. And it's actually, I think, very powerful for where DiCaprio is. And then I was just going to throw into the hat a remake that a lot of people don't mention, which we're about to show, is The Maltese Falcon. And that was originally made in 1931. It's maybe more to the point that Connor was making. It's an adaptation of a Dashiell Hammett novel. And so, you know, there was a 1931 version. And I'm sure John Huston went back to the source material. And, you know, you, you could call 
call Miller's Crossing is a loose adaptation of Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest. Actually, Miller's Crossing is also, for anybody who's savvy, it's also a bit of a Yojimbo riff. I don't have any dogmatic rules about remakes. Sometimes I love to see remakes, but I, I do appreciate when somebody has, they have that idea. They're like, ah, I have a new way in. I have a new way of telling this story. I have a new way of doing it, a new, and it's going to make it interesting. Then, as you guys are saying, then it's fascinating to see the game they play. Like, again, with Departed, it is Irish Catholic Boston instead of hyper-modern Hong Kong. So uh, suddenly everything is Catholic and the Catholic Church and, you know, the molestation scandals. And Nicholson is like some coked out pope with incredible power and he doesn't even know why he's in it anymore. And no one knows why they're doing what they're doing, but they all come from the church and from Southie. Or like we talked about when Kurosawa takes Throne of Blood and he makes it in feudal Japan, then it becomes a fascinating game. So I think my only rule, if anyone ever offered me a remake, would just be, do I have a take on it that merits doing it again? If I don't have a take that merits doing it again, I probably wouldn't do it again. We will see. If someone offered me a job and money, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't want to talk out of my neck. It might be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll try my best. I would love to think that I'd only do something I have an interesting new take on. Pop culture final thoughts. Ed and Maya gave me a camera. I've been shooting the hell out of it documents. Well, yeah, you were shooting our whole Palm Springs weekend. You were putting Kate Connor said you filmed him too much. Then I need I need more of Connor. I need more of art. For Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. I went to the Bev. Saw an actual Friday the 13th movie. I'm, uh, I'm not going to say names, but saw a movie that was meant to be shown on 35. It was called Friday the 13th Final Chapter. Awesome. Crispin Glover doing the dance. Magical. And also, hot take probably a dangerous take freddy's dead final nightmare probably the best nightmare and movie of all time and it was in 3d oh absolutely not it's a terrible movie i'm sorry it's like I'm the sorry. least it's like I'm, the I'm, least scary movie of all time you went to I'm that not. instead of hanging out with me on my birthday i invited you to stuff wow Birthday con. <laughs> uh, I watched for my movie night Freaked, the Alex Winters starring and written and directed film. And that movie's great if people haven't seen it. It's like an R-rated UHF about a uh, really vain actor who stumbles upon a freak show run by Randy Quaid and he turns people into freaks. It's like 80 minutes and it's uh, really funny and vulgar and got really wild prosthetic effects. Definitely worth checking out. And you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings at twitch.tv slash NerdHala. I watched the trailer for Park Chan-wook's new movie, Decision to Leave. Of course you did. I'm looking forward to seeing that film. Here is, an, in my opinion, the empirical good about technology. I am reading Michael Ballhouse's conversations with Tom Tickfer, uh, Michael Ballhouse, the cinematographer for Rainer Werner Fassbender and, and Martin Scorsese, probably most famously known for having shot Goodfellas, and then many of Fassbender's greatest 70s German movies. But they never translated. It's in German. And Ballhouse is my favorite DP. So I got the book. And I am using my phone, my Google camera translate, and I am reading. <laughs> and that Google translate, it does a great job. You know, you have to reconfigure it. Sometimes I can tell I don't have it placed right. But I've been—I'm on page 100. It's flying. I can now read a book that wasn't translated by pointing my camera and hitting a button, and that's pretty incredible. And the thing that Ballhouse said that I actually really loved and I appreciated was he said that for as much as he loved cinema, his family always came first. And he was married to the same woman his whole life, and he always appeared to me to have a very tight family life. 
that meant a lot to me because I think he did great work, but I, I just don't like the idea that it's an either or, that either you're a great filmmaker or you're a good family person. And I think that Ballhouse, by making its family priority, was still able to do amazing, amazing work without sacrificing his relationships with his children and his wife. And that weirdly has been my greatest inspiration. Also, as much as he loved Fassbender, he eventually couldn't put up with Fassbender's drug-addled, manipulative, passive-aggressive behavior. And I think that's also a lesson that you can't treat people poorly. I, I think those days in cinema are maybe rightfully over, but they'll, you know, it's all cyclical. It'll come back. But I don't think there's ever an excuse for treating people awfully, as much as I love Fassbender, and I love Fassbender. All right, guys, that is it for today. Secret Movie Club Podcast 107 will be about politics and films, because we are wrapping up in May a political series, just a little mini-series of great political movies. As always, this episode was edited by Connor Lloyd Cruz, our Chief Creative Content Officer. You can always find out what we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Get tickets at Eventbrite at secretmovieclub.com. Write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. If you like what we're doing or whatever, please write a review. Give us, you know, like us, whatever. It helps on Spotify, Apple, whatever. And then tonight, we'll see election with producer David Gale. Tomorrow, uh, we are going to do the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, next Wednesday, Louis Bunuel's first three movies. Thursday, The Exterminating Angel. That's it. All right, guys. Have a great week. Have a great night. I love you, family. This guy, bam. Ah, oh, oh, oh. oh. Got some chips.